In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So my wife and I have been watching a show called Under the Banner of Heaven, which is based on a book of the same name by the author John Krakauer. And the show focuses on a true story of a double murder committed in the name of God by two brothers named Dan and Ron Lafferty. And so the Lafferty family was involved with a small splinter group of fundamentalist Mormons in Utah who sought to return to the original teachings of the Mormon church. And so the Lafferty's are radicalized and they come to believe that one of the brothers, Dan, is a new prophet of the church and that he hears directly from the Holy Spirit. Dan then uses what he claims is the guidance of the Holy Spirit to preach against things like paying taxes and to preach for polygamy. Well, eventually Dan claims that the Spirit has told him to kill his sister-in-law and her baby because the sister-in-law does not approve of his actions. And all of this, he claims, is with guidance from the Spirit. So it's easy to imagine the abuses that can happen when we hear someone in power say, well, the Holy Spirit told me. Right? There are many, many people who would love to justify their actions and their desires by suggesting, I felt the Spirit leading me to do this. I heard the Spirit tell me to do this. Even in 2009, at our controversial ELCA churchwide assembly, the presiding bishop at the time, Bishop Hansen, received quite a bit of criticism because he made the claim at the assembly, let this be our witness, that we are a church going with the flow, the flow of God's Holy Spirit being poured out, suggesting that whatever was voted on in that assembly was the work of the Spirit. And to a large extent, I think we're right to be skeptical of people who make these kinds of claims. We must not use the ministry of the Holy Spirit as justification for every desire and every whim that passes through our head. But when we read the gospel in John 16, we hear clearly that Christ teaches us that the Holy Spirit actively guides the church. Christ says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus uses two active verbs here, guides and speaks. And so we must not think that the Holy Spirit is simply passive in some way, or that the Holy Spirit sits back and occasionally whispers in our ears like a guardian angel when we really need help. Instead, Christ points us to the truth that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, always guiding us and always speaking to us. But then that should raise the question, how do we know that it's the Holy Spirit who leads us? How can we be skeptical of claims of people like the Lafferty's who claim to be led by the Spirit also? The key is right here in Jesus' teaching. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And in the Gospel of John, truth is not just an abstract or relative concept. In fact, you'll remember in John chapter 18, when Jesus stands before Pilate, they have a dialogue. Pilate asks Jesus, so you're a king? And Jesus replies, you say that I am a king. 
For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked, what is truth? Pilate is stuck in the philosophies of the world that debate this concept of truth. Can there be more than one truth? Can something be true for me and not for you? Is there only one objective truth and so on? But the gospel is not so much interested in that discussion. And for the gospel, truth is not just an abstraction, not just an idea. Rather, in the gospel, truth is a person. Truth is Jesus Christ. In fact, in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anything that is truly true begins with Jesus. He shows us the truth that is the foundation of the world. So I return to that question, how do we know that it's the Holy Spirit who leads us? Well, the answer here is that the Holy Spirit always leads us to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit always leads us to bring glory to Christ alone, to put our faith into him alone. The Holy Spirit leads us to the incarnate Christ who is shown to us in the word of God. Because when we are led to Christ, we're led to the perfect image of the fullness of God. All right, do we want to know what the author of truth looks like? Well, look to Christ. Do we want to know what God looks like? Look to Christ. Do we want to know the very heart of God? Well, look to Christ. It's in Christ the fullness of God dwells. So it is to Christ that the Holy Spirit leads us. Christ reveals to us exactly who God is for us. So the answer to that question becomes very basic. The Holy Spirit leads us to Christ revealed to us in the word of God. In fact, the Apostle John deals with the same question in the fourth chapter of his first letter, where he writes, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. If we are led to something that is not Christ-centered, if we are led to believe something that is all about our gain, our glory, about winning the values and the acclaim of this world, then that something is not from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God leads us to the crucified Savior. And so on this Trinity Sunday, we remember this idea. The Holy Spirit brings glory to the Son. The Holy Spirit seeks to make the Son all the more magnificent in our lives. Literally, the Holy Spirit wants to magnify Christ for us, to make him bigger and bigger in our understanding of the world and of ourselves. And that's the true life of the Christian, that Christ, Christ alone, becomes bigger and bigger and takes up more and more of our vision in this life. And it's the Holy Spirit that makes that happen. And so the Trinitarian truth is that in the unity of God, the Trinity is always being glorified. And the Athanasian Creed, which we'll read here in a moment, it will remind us that in this Trinity, none is before or after the other, none is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal. The unity and Trinity and the Trinity and unity is to be worshiped. What we see then is that the persons of the Trinity are always magnifying the others 
and always leading us to the presence of our Creator. Again, in the words of St. Athanasius, God is above all things as Father, for He is the source. He is through all things through the Word, and He is in all things in the Holy Spirit. And so in the Trinity, God is always exalted. And so while we might ask, so what? What does all this mean practically? Why does it matter that we confess that God is one God in three persons? Well, first and foremost, it is important because only God can save us. Only God can bring life out of death. Only God can make us new through the total forgiveness of our sins. Thus, if Christ is not God, then we cannot be confident that we will be forgiven our sins. We cannot be confident that we will be raised from the grave on the last day. And if the Spirit is not God, we cannot be confident that our hearts will be made new. We cannot be confident that the word and sacrament that we receive will bring us into the presence of God. And so the Trinitarian faith, the faith in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, assures us of our salvation. But even more practically, our confession of the Trinity reminds us that we are not alone in this world. It's so easy for us to become like deists. If you remember, deism was a popular 18th century philosophy wherein they believed that God created the world and then set it into motion, and now God is no longer involved. God is up here somewhere far away from us. And that nature just plays out by the laws created by God, but God's not actively involved in this world. But our faith in a triune God fights against this because we're reminded over and over again that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are indeed active. The Father begets the Son who took on flesh for us and now comes to us in word and sacrament. The Holy Spirit sent by the Father and the Son guides us to this word and sacrament and makes them effectual in our life. And so when we begin our service in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we are reminding ourselves of the God who is always working for us. Not the distant God who's unreachable, but the God who comes to us. The doctrine of the Trinity, then, is not just an obscure mystery, a complicated doctrine to be put away. Rather, the doctrine of the Trinity is there to bring us comfort the comfort that God is always for us and with us. Amen.